Welcome to Chicago History and Automotive Heaven, Saturdays at 4 p.m. on WCPT, 820 a.m. With Richie Z, Chicago's historian and storyteller. Richie takes the mystery out of Chicago history. We're also going to do a segment called, If You Have an Automotive Glitch, Don't Bitch, Call Rich. Welcome, everybody. It's Richie Z coming to you live and direct from WCPT on Milwaukee Avenue in Chicago, Illinois. Hey, I got a question for you guys out there. Um, does anybody know where Santa keeps the naughty list? I'd like to meet a girl maybe from the naughty list. So if anybody has any uh, uh, ideas where he might be keeping that, I, I think I might uh, be interested in that. Um I got an announcement to make later on in the show today, too, so uh, stay tuned for that. I've been really busy. Um, this week, I did something that just... I always tell you guys to do something positive, go out there, and um, every three months, I do a presentation for Lighthouse for the Blind, and I've been doing it for over six years. Um we did it Wednesday, and they gave me an hour and a half for a change, which was really great. I took questions and told just a bunch of wonderful stories, but that they really make me feel great, and they sent me a beautiful letter. I'm not going to uh, read it to you today, but thanking me for all the years I've been doing it with them, and it was kind of cool. I just want to mention one thing. It's done over the phone now because they're building a whole uh, complex over at Lighthouse for the Blind is the oldest charitable organization in the city of Chicago. So that's really cool. It's located at uh, Roosevelt Road and Wood Street. They had a parking lot up front, but uh, they had raised some money and everything. So they're building a place to house people that are uh, visually impaired. So that's really going to be cool. I used to go there a lot to do that, but we can do it over the phone. We could do it over Zoom. Um, if you ever want to do a presentation at your location, I don't care if you have a senior club or anything, VFW, any kind of uh, thing, or if you live in a, uh, a community where seniors are, I do presentations at your location. I come out for an hour. It's usually an hour and a half. Uh, you can call me direct at 312. 841-2560. And I got one more little story before we start today's show. Uh, my humidifier broke this week. So I called the company that I had gotten it with. It's Holmes. It's H-O-L-M-E-S. Told them what had happened. It's not working. I didn't know these things were um, uh, guaranteed. Emma was on the phone with me. She sent me a brand new humidifier, no charge. Wonderful company. When I have stories like that that are positive, you know, guys, I will do that for you. Now, I have a guest on the line. It's Larry Spivak. Um, Larry, I want you to just jump right in, and I'm going to you're, – you're like a guy that has more titles than Richie Z. Uh, but you've been involved with uh, unions and with history most of your life, right? I would say that uh, my entire adult life, that is correct. <laughs> you are really something, because you got stories to tell and all of that, but you you were involved with the history, the Labor History Museum? It's called the Illinois Labor History Society, where the uh, nation's uh, 
probably largest and most popular labor history society, uh, and um, founded in 1969 to uh, sell, tell the story, initially to have a more accurate telling of the story of Haymarket and uh, the events around that tragedy and uh, why it's so important. But you were president of that organization, right? I am, correct. You are now? Okay, great. You're going to have to give us all the information in that. But I really want to get into this. And I called you. You know, we've done shows in the past. Larry's been a friend of mine for a long time, uh, probably 15, 20 years. Um, But we go back in history. The reason I called you was because of all these things that are happening now with Amazon, Tesla, Starbucks, uh, and even Walmart, people are are starting to walk out and they're going out on strike. Now, Larry, you're the perfect guy to ask this question to strike. What good does it do and who does it benefit? Well, if the question is generally what purpose does a strike serve, it's a last resort when workers have no other choice to uh, exercise, to be able to exercise the power that they should have inherently as workers collectively um, to uh, keep the employer from basically taking what workers should be properly paid, the proper working conditions that should uh, uh, be granted to them, uh, which is why the basic uh, rule of thumb of collective bargaining is wages, hours, and conditions of employment is what's bargained over. Um, and so uh, I think really the point of your question is all this stuff is happening now that we're seeing, in the, especially in the last two years, and it comes on the heels of the pandemic, uh, but it's been a process that's longer than that to get to this point where workers, unorganized workers in this country in particular, are beginning to stand up for their rights and saying that since the Amazons, the Starbucks, uh, which are some of the best examples recently, um, aren't paying us what we're worth. We're working ridiculous hours without time off. We can't see our families. And they feel they have nowhere else to go. And that means um, demanding union recognition um, and even walking out for recognition, which is a tactic that goes back for, you know, generations in this country. You know, I want to I want to, you know, you're on a great point. I don't want to blow this because we're going to come back to this. But I want to I want to mention one thing because everybody knows I'm a Chicago historian and uh, the labor movement in the world started in Chicago, Illinois, didn't it? in the 18 late 1800s. Right. Well, I think we could say that Chicago was certainly an epicenter of the building of the modern labor movement. Uh, So a short answer is yes. Uh, but uh, uh, certainly uh, organizing for workers' rights, unionization, the labor movement was taking place all over, but Chicago was uh, the number one place. That's why there's more local ones from different unions in Chicago and Cook County than anywhere else in the country. Yeah, we we were the ones with that haymarket affair. And I don't want to get into that whole thing, but uh, that's where that whole thing and it started. And then May Day is being celebrated uh, across Europe and everywhere uh, as a day for workers, correct? 
Well, it's a, it's a day of uh, memory for the events that took place in Chicago, the Haymarket uh, tragedy, uh, when workers were uh, striking for the eight-hour day and were then at a protest rally for being shot at and killed at a strike, um, uh, protested uh, at Haymarket Square on the near west side of Chicago. And um, uh, in the end, uh, uh, the... Uh, a bomb was thrown uh, that nobody knows who threw the bomb. It landed at the foot of the police. The police opened fire. The workers weren't armed. Uh, police killed six of their own. One died by the bomb. And it was the pretext for the corporate corporations to say, we got to stop this organizing because 350,000 workers were on strike in the country, 80,000 in Chicago. But in the end, Around the world, workers celebrated, uh, uh, got together and said to remember Haymarket, let's have International Labor Day or May Day. So May Day is a holiday, uh, not because of uh, the Soviet Union or China, which Americans grew up believing, but because to celebrate, in fact, uh, the workers' struggles in the 1880s uh, for the eight-hour day. So here in Chicago. So all around the world, billions of people celebrate a holiday that we don't recognize. You know, you and I did a couple of shows a few years ago. We went into that whole, that's why I don't want to really get into a lot of that. I want to do something that today is going to benefit the people out there. Um, suffering from not being paid enough. But uh, I have on my website two radio shows that Larry and I did a number of years ago, probably 15 years ago, and we went into detail about the labor history, the Haymarket uh, riot and, and the people shot and killed and everything else. But last, oh my, maybe two years ago, um, I did a show on... Uh, the cemetery where they were buried in that, and there's still monuments there. And uh, we actually did a, a, I think about a 10 minute uh, television show that you can go on my site, richiez.com, R I C H I E Z I E dot com, and see that also. Tell us, because you've really been involved with unions and everything, um, you really know your uh, way around. Tell us what people can do today. I mean, they're organizing, and so far it seems like everything is kind of sort of moving in a okay direction, but it can go sour um, in a heartbeat, right, Larry? Well, it's... Uh you're right that it's going in the right direction because this kind of level of organizing we haven't seen in, uh, well, decades. Um, and the reason, a good reason for that, I don't mean a good reason, but a primary reason is that the labor laws in the United States are the weakest in the developed world. They really are. And um, uh, so for all intents and purposes, it's almost uh, impossible to organize into a union without uh, uh, a lot of people uh, being at risk for losing their job illegally, but it's not enforceable. Um, thousands and thousands of workers are fired every year for trying to organize a union. But uh, the tide has turned in many respects. Uh, here in Illinois, uh, we just passed a constitutional amendment that guarantees workers uh, even greater rights to organize, even though collective bargaining in Illinois is uh, certainly steps ahead of where it is in many other states in the country. But uh, 
you know, federal labor law doesn't re- uh, work, uh, uh, doesn't exist for pri- public sector workers, and private sector workers are subject to right to work laws, which is really means the right to work for less, which is in uh, um, a couple dozen states and um, has recently passed in some of the very conservative, uh, what I call right wing uh, uh, states that are governed by right wing uh, politicians. And um, uh, so the opportunity now is greater because, uh, as I said earlier, the on the heels of the pandemic, where workers started feeling that two things have happened, at least two things. One is that the average worker hasn't gotten a raise in 40 years adjusted for inflation. Wages are no greater now than they were 40 years ago for the average uh, working person. And um, uh, combined with the intense... Uh, uh, the issues from the pandemic, uh, and because there had been a, a growing movement of people, the fight for 15, uh, a living wage, uh, uh, the ridiculousness of how uh, uh, the working poor is, which is not uh, just what we consider working poor people, but a lot of average working people are working three to 4,000 hours a year to make the average wage of what it was 40 years ago when it was 2,000 hours a year. So, you know, all that combined has been an incentive for people to look towards collective action. And um, uh, from teacher walkouts in states that didn't have collective bargaining all around the country a few years ago to the walkouts at Amazon, the organizing of Amazon, the 350 Starbucks around the country that have already filed uh, for uh, uh, union representation and in, in our bargaining, even though Howard Schultz and Starbucks are fighting it tooth and nail. Um, and it's happening, you know, in the new industries. Um, there have been no shortage of efforts to organize gig workers. Um, uh, and even uh, places, you know, the, the professional workers at, at Google and at Microsoft and other places have organizations like this. So, um well, but it's very difficult in the United States to do this because if we don't have labor laws that are enforceable uh, and uh, the ability for states to uh, pass legislation uh, that's so regressive. That uh, And then, uh, and I guess the other thing I would say, Richie, which is interesting about it, if you look at the states that have weak, weaker labor laws or are right-to-work states, there's a reason that the workers in those states are the poorest workers in the country. Uh, the workers that have the right to collect the bargaining, have a right to a union, are paid more, have better benefits, um, and have a better life. And so, you know, unfortunately, uh, uh, the bosses have uh, uh, always been able to convince a certain segment of the working class to vote against their own self-interest, which is what happens, especially in places like the South, uh, where the laws are backwards or, you know, or the... Uh, uh, I'll, I guess I'll use the term flyover states, et cetera. Yeah, that, that what you brought up with that right to work uh, state, it's a right to work for nothing. You're not you're not making a living. You have no benefits. You have no rights. Um, it's really something. I want to mention a few things because, you know, I can hear people out there going, well, you know, you guys are picking on. the." No, we're not picking on um, the the billionaires out there that have billions of dollars because they made it off the backs of working people. 
yeah, we are kind of sort of telling the story. You know, I want to bring up history because this is Chicago and this is what I've done for, you know, the last uh, 30 some odd years. Now, December 1st will be 33 years I've been on the air. But Marshall Field and Company, people worked there. They got benefits. Um, they had a, a living wage. They were able to make a living. But also Marshall Field and Company, my uncle worked there. And they sent you to college. You wanted to go to college? They paid um, to to educate you. My uncle became one of the top toy buyers in the nation for Marshall Field and Company. Wrigley Company. I'm going to do his story, this Wrigley. I've done it for Lighthouse and the Blind a few months ago. Uh, William Wrigley was an unbelievable individual, uh, marketing genius, but he also did things where his people made a living wage. But he put a health club and a beauty shop in every factory. And the women were able to go to the beauty shop on his dime, on his time. He, they still got paid. And he paid them a living wage and they had benefits. Sears Roebuck and Company, Montgomery Wards. And I could keep going on and on. So when you tell me that one of these companies like uh, Walmart, the, the family is supposedly now... The six kids and the or the five kids and the and the wife are are worth somewhere in the vicinity of over four hundred billion dollars. Um, this Amazon guy, he's worth close to three hundred billion. Tesla, the same thing, um, and he doesn't pay his people in Texas. It's the right to work for nothing state. Texas is, and there he's having issues with them. Starbucks, like we're talking about. So, t- tell us a little bit, Larry, about what the people can do to help these people that are out, you know, on the picket line and, and, you know, trying to get uh, a living wage and increase. You know, one thing else I want to mention, because yesterday I'm driving in the car and I'm listening to the radio and uh, the CEO of Walt Disney World stepped down yesterday. And the Ixer, the guy that was there before, was there for 15 years, he's coming back in. But they mentioned something. That CEO of Walt Disney just signed a three-year contract, so they have to pay him out over $200 million for two years, three years. They have to pay him out. And employees in Florida, you know how Florida is. It's another one of those right-to-work-for-nothing states with no benefits. So give us some pointers, Larry, about what people can do to uh, to help this movement. Well, you know, the first thing I would say is that uh, those who are already organized and in unions, which uh, in, and certainly your listening base is probably... <clears throat> more sympathetic to this, and in fact, probably a lot of union members are listening, is that people in unions themselves have to be involved in their own union. It's not like an insurance company where you pay your dues and that uh, you you hope, you you know, and then you you get your benefit. Unions work because people who are in it work as an organization to build that organization to give workers power in the workplace. That's how collective bargaining, that's how, uh, how people uh, improve their wages and benefits. And uh, uh, so number one is for people who already have the benefit of being in a union to be part of it, to go to their meetings, to read the literature. Uh, One thing we do know is that uh, 
one of the highest voting rates in the country are by union members. So even though unions represent only a, a include, you know, if you add the public and private sector together, it's about 12 percent of the workforce. Um, union members account for more than 25 percent of the voting population because union members tend to be more educated about issues because they're in a union where the union talks about those things. So, but, um, uh, and the other thing is when you are paying attention in your own union, you learn about the struggles of people in other places and are more willing to participate and help them. And so, you know, there's an old adage that goes back to the 19th century from those, uh, you know, uh, um, from each according to his ability to each according to his need. Um, those of us who have the ability have to help those in need. And um, uh, so we can do that from that basis. But for those who don't have access, uh, even though they should, people, almost anybody can have a union if they're not a, uh, unless it's prohibited uh, by law. Um, uh, there, it requires uh a lot of courage to realize that there are risks in organizing because the laws are backwards and people can be fired. But what we're seeing is that that they do, you know, like an Amazon has tried to fire some of the leaders. Starbucks has tried to fire some of the leaders, but the workers continue to agitate because at this point it's sort of like, you know, uh, you can't live making, even though most of these places are now paying $15 an hour. That's still not a living wage. A living wage would be, you know, 22 to $30 an hour for, for, you know, I mean, that's really what people need to be able to make just basically to get by. So people understand that. So um, I would say that, um, the, you know, if, uh, it, if you have some uh, uh, knowledge about it, you'll contact a union to come in and help organize uh, your workforce. Uh, some of the organizations like the Amazon Labor Union is currently independent, but, you know, hopefully will one day be part of the broader labor movement uh, officially, uh, which it is anyway. I mean, we support workers, whether they're independent or not, because uh, the, uh, again, the cliche, you know, a rising tide lifts all boats, and that's what this is about. That's why we're always fighting for an increase and uh, the uh, minimum wage. Uh, and so not just in the workplace, but then you ha- also have to fight politically. So you have to elect politicians who support issues like a, a greater minimum wage. It's just fundamentally ridiculous that the federal minimum wage is still seven seventy-five an hour, which in fact is what some people are paid um, in some places where the either the state or the county or the municipality hasn't raised the minimum wage. Um, so uh, um, it is a, uh, um, if you're a, a citizen listening to this and you hear that workers are on strike, you should honor that picket line or you should pick up a, a, a picket sign and, uh, and walk with them. So there's a number of ways to do that. But so, you know, it's a, it's a, a legislative uh, thing. It's a collective bargaining thing. Um, it's a political thing. All those things together is how workers can improve uh, their place right now in great raising their standard of living. Um, there's a lot of other struggles that have been going on because, as you know, Richie, the 
uh, uh, workers have been uh, pushing harder and harder in their collective bargaining and getting better contracts over the last couple of years because um, it's been hard to replace people. And what businesses always want to do is have the ability to force workers into a strike situation and um, be able to try to replace them, which should be illegal, but uh, as it is in most uh, civilized countries, I'll use that term loosely, but uh, um, in the United States, uh, you can effectively, uh, um, you know, playing with the law, replace workers who go out on strike, even though it's illegal in most cases. So it's, uh, uh, it's challenging, but we've been through challenging times in our history. And workers, because, you know, you look at the great events where workers have organized, it was when the National Labor Relations Act was passed in 1935, you know, millions of workers over a course of the next seven, eight years joined unions and transformed America and to the point that when unions represented one third of the workforce, they bargained for all Americans. And you're talking about Marshall Fields, and you're talking about Ward, you're talking about these companies that gave all these benefits. It was because they were trying to stay uh, what they call union-free, so they had to be able to compete with the highest wages and benefits. And that's, again, why the more we raise the wages and benefits of the average worker, benefits everybody and pushes even the anti-union employers to follow suit. You know, I want to add to that because throughout my life, I've been involved with, uh, you know, the construction industry. I've been involved with uh, um, the trucking industry. I've, I've worked in all facets of, of uh, America. Um, I, I have also worked at McCormick Place uh, as a rigger uh, with 134. Uh, I'm going to tell you one thing, and I've worked in places where there was no representation, no nothing. A place that has a union, a place that's organized, a place where workers are happy because they're making a living wage is a better place to work. Number one, I'm going to tell you right off the bat. Uh, any of the trades out there, I don't care if you're an electrician, electricians, they go to school for a long time, but carpenters, bricklayers, roofers, plumbers, uh, riggers, I mean, on and on and on, they're better educated than just somebody off the street. So when they're doing work, it's a safer envi environment for the workers, and it's a better product that is put out. The EPA is involved with them, too, so you never have, like, it's just running off the wall where you hear all kinds of accidents, things blowing up and this and that. I've never worked at a plant where, well, I've worked places where we've had accidents, things happen, but because people are educated, they know what to do, they know how to deal with it it's not a tragic thing larry we're we're coming up on a break in a little bit but i just wanted to touch on that we're going to come back after the break i'm going to make an announcement but i'm also going to take calls at 773-763-9278 so call if you have a question about labor about uh, the unions and like i say i'm going to make an announcement after the break Chicago History and Automotive Television and Radio Shows Podcast. Over 100 radio shows, over 75 television shows at RichieZ.com. That's R-I-C-H-I-E 
Z-I-E.com. We're also on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and my website, and that's RichieZ.com. Limo-style private tours of Chicago's historic downtown, lakefront, Magmile, Chicago mob, ghost, and haunted stories, historic churches, stunning architecture, up to six people per tour, we pick you up and bring you back, in style. For Chicago tours, you'll never forget, call 312-841-2560, that all-important phone number is 312-841-2560. Enjoy Chicago Stories with Richie Z on your PC or smartphone. Over 100 radio shows, over 75 television shows. Tune in at RichieZ.com, R-I-C-H-I-E-Z-I-E.com. Or you can call Richie direct at 312-841-2560. Become a sponsor on the show. Call me again at 312-841-2560. Chicago History Presentations at your location and Zoom. Book Richie Z for a speaking engagement at 312-841-2560. That's 312-841-2560. You can also friend me on Facebook and Instagram. I'm also on YouTube. You can check me out on YouTube at RichieZ.com. We're back, folks. Uh, I got a couple things I want to touch on. This is going to be my last show here at WCPT, so I just wanted to put that into into the coffer today. Um, it's been a pleasure being here. I really enjoyed it, but uh, there's a few things going on that I um, need to deal with, and that I'm going to be going for another surgery soon, and a few other things are happening. So, uh, sorry to say this will be my last show here at WCPT, but don't forget, you can always um, get me at uh, RichieZ.com. We filmed about 10 television shows in the last uh, month now from uh, Phoenix and Las Vegas. And uh, last Sunday, we went to the historic auto attractions. I hate even talking about it because it's going to be closing tomorrow, but it's in Roscoe, Illinois. What a spectacular museum that is. He's got a little bit of everything. If you go on my Facebook, you'll see me standing with the... Uh, uh, the Apostles and Jesus at the Last Supper table. Uh, he's got a display of that. Um, so that, it's really cool. Historic auto attractions in Roscoe, Illinois. Tomorrow will be their last day, and they're going to close for the season. I believe they're going to open in April or May, but you can check on that. But also, go to RichieZ.com. Uh, friend me on Facebook. I still got some room. I only have about 4,400 friends on Facebook, so I still have room. Uh, Larry, we're going to take a caller. We got Brian on the phone from Joliet. No? Thank you. Hello? Hello? Yes. I'm on the air? Yes, sir. Yeah, well, I I hope you're both doing well today. And I'm just uh, 
calling in say I'm really enjoying the show and I am very pro union and uh, I think uh, quite frankly uh, we need uh, uh, more uh, like in high school uh, more education on the history of unionism and uh, I know PBS uh, kind of a show that's old so they used to have run all kinds of documentaries on the history of unionism and uh, uh, you know, going back to Haymarket and, uh, uh, and uh, you know, and what they were asking for, not to, and Debs and people like that, was not that radical. They wanted an eight-hour work day. Uh, they wanted uh, above slave uh, wages. And uh, they don't show this on PBS anymore like they used. They had all kinds of union history documentaries. So I think it needs to be taught in high schools. You know, you bring up a great point, and I'm going to let Larry take it, because I was going to ask Larry a question that pertains to what you just uh, said. Larry, uh, give them any information. If they got this, uh, you got this Illinois Labor History Organization uh, Society. Is there a museum in that? We we used to have a very small museum, but it really uh, it, it it was uh, just a, at our office. Um, uh, there are um, uh, there's a late museum of labor and industry in Belleville, Illinois, for example. Okay, but uh, you know, uh, Brian, you were you were mentioning PBS, and I was recently uh, um, interviewed by uh, W. WTTW Channel 11 Chicago, I forget, you know, different call stations around the area. But um, they are going to be dropping a show called, not dropping, but it's going to uh, uh, come out. I don't know exactly when. Chicago Stories is something that's on periodically. And they did a segment on Pullman, and the Illinois Labor History Society has been part of the development of... uh, uh, the, uh, the new now that Pullman is national park, national monument, national park. Um, we've been a partner there, and um, uh, PBS is doing a, a piece on uh, Pullman, which is a very important story of America and certainly the labor movement in many respects. Um, and um, I'm not sure it's going to be probably after the first of the year when it comes out. That's my guess, but uh, you'd be on the lookout for that. Um, also, uh, they did do a, uh, they played a, uh, there was a documentary on Haymarket uh, a year and a half ago. I was one of the talking heads on it uh, because it's such an important part of um, American and uh, world labor history, really. Um, but the issue about education, that, of course, is the role of the Illinois Labor History Society. Over the years, we became uh, 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 a broader uh, educational resource for the telling the story of labor and labor history. Um, and in fact, I mention it now, our uh, annual Union Hall of Honor program, which is a our ben- annual benefit, is going to be held next Friday, December 2nd at uh, um, Operating Engineers Local 399 Hall in Chicago, where we're honoring various people. And we honor people so that we can tell the story of their contributions to the labor movement. And, you know, several hundred people come. Uh, and uh, uh, this year, our keynote speaker is actually the most dangerous woman in the world, according to Mike Pompeo, who recently called Randy Weingarten the president of the American Federation of Teachers, um, because, of course, you know, the uber-wealthy, the right wing, they 
despise workers having the right to be organized and having unions because it takes away some of the power of the billionaire class. And um, uh, and so somehow or another, he lumped Randy Weingarten because they don't believe that educating students about the things they should be educated are good. Um, and that includes educating students about workers and unions. So um, teachers, you know, curriculum doesn't really... Uh, speak uh, uh, to workers' rights and, and unions and society unless teachers bring it to the table, which is why we would all love to see it be, you know, mandated by law. But truthfully, a lot of teachers don't want to be mandated because they have so many mandates, even if they're sympathetic to the subject. And as you probably know, most teachers are in unions. Um, but so even from their personal experience, uh, they, they, they could talk about it. But um, it's very important that uh, uh, junior high students, even grade school students, learn about why workers are in unions and what unions mean. And uh, we know that uh, the, much more of this kind of education takes place already in states where workers have uh, are more freely able to organize and be in unions. Um, and it, uh, it's kind of a, um, isn't it, it, it's, it's like a, uh, um, almost a self, I don't want to call it a self-fulfilling prophecy, but it, 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 you know, the more that people are educated about it, the more they're open to the ideas of something that is generally not taught, uh, otherwise. And, um, it's a great question. It's, it, this is important, and that's why union members themselves need to be educated. Because when you asked me earlier, Richie, what should uh, what can workers do? Get educated. Read books. Go to our website, IllinoisLaborHistory.org. Learn about the incredible stories uh, that have taken place. You know, I do a lot of presentations. In fact, uh, I did presentation to a group of uh, junior high kids just uh, this last August in the classroom. And then they came to Forest Home Cemetery, where many people are buried alongside the Haymarket Martyrs, which the Illinois Labor History Society is the deed holder of the Haymarket Martyrs Monument. And these students were fascinating because the teacher prepared them, and these students understood history better than uh, most adults do. And they were, you know, 12-year-olds, 13-year-olds. And uh, um, and so it's not over the head of a, of a middle school child to learn about workers' rights and what it means. And it will help them be better prepared for the future. And uh, so, Brian, it's a great question, great point, uh, and um, we need to do more of it, and we need to continue to press for um, legislation to have curriculum that uh, educates students about what is the most important thing that people do is work. So I want to put a dot on that eye for Brian. Give out the labor, um, the Illinois labor history dot org. That's the website that you can go to. Yes. Illinois labor dot Illinois labor history dot org. Illinois labor history dot org is our website. And it's uh, it has some good resources in it. Is that did that answer your question, Brian? forward to the documentary and thank you so much you're welcome man that's a great question i really enjoyed having you uh, bring that up we got another caller on line three we got roosevelt gentlemen thank you for taking my call um 
just a simple question that uh, coincides with some of what Brian has said and some of what both of you have said. Not only do we need to educate people as far as that are in the union and people that are not in the union about the history of unions, but we need to also educate people on how important it is to vote because a lot of people that were in the union, starting with Reagan and even before that, but I'm, I'm just taking it at the top of my head, Reagan voted for Reagan and they voted against their own interests. To this day, uh, the, the guy that was there just a few years ago, to be specific, Trump, you know, all these people are against the union and a lot of union workers voted against their own interests, even with uh, Trump and starting, like I said, with Reagan. You know, you bring up a great point, and I just want to mention one thing. In this last election, the very wealthy from that other side that you're talking about put up over $1 billion to defeat Democrats. It had nothing to do with, uh, you know, I remember when we used to send politicians to to work, to bring things back to their community, to work together and make America a greater place. You don't have that anymore. Now all they want to do is, is obstruct and, and stop anybody from doing anything. Right, Roosevelt? Absolutely, absolutely. And and to your point, uh, here in the state of Illinois, remember our governor um, proposed, uh, I don't remember the specifics, and they put up a lot of money against our governor, and he wanted to, you know, put, we put it on the ballot, on the voting ballot, and they voted against it. I don't remember the exact title of, of what it was. It was a lot of money to, to for a right that people that what it would benefit all of Illinois, and exactly. they put up a lot of money and they defeated it. That's, exactly. Thank you, Richard. That's a that's a slap in our face. I mean, that's it's just really is something. Yes. Yeah. It's yeah. It's unfortunate again that because of poor education, um, workers often don't even know their that they are voting against their own interests. So, for instance, um, you know, the, uh, uh, before, the governor before J.B. Pritzker, Rauner, his sole purpose of ex- his whole purpose of existence was to try to get rid of uh, uh, unions. Uh, that, he, that was his platform. You know, he failed miserably, but uh, um, it was a, uh, uh, it, it, you know, it, 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 you end up having to spend a lot of money just to defend your own time, your your. Uh, you know, we had to sp- unions had to spend a lot of money just to keep our members educated about something that otherwise should never have been a question. But the real point is, is that if you look at elections where um, you take all the uh, working class people that uh, voted for um, I'm already forgetting uh, <laughs> uh, the Republican candidate's name, uh, Derek Bailey. I mean, they, that guy. His whole agenda was to keep unions from uh, having any power. I mean, that, that's and so how could you if you care about your family, if you care about your standard of living, why would you even vote that way? But it's because people really either have these, these um, blinders on or they're single issue voters, even though they would vote basically to reduce their standard of living because of another issue that they care more strongly about. And um, it's uh, it's a 
again, you know, we also as uh, unions have a responsibility, which we do a pretty good job of educating our members. But it's, uh, you know, it, it's uh, uh, a difficult proposition. And uh, the right wings, the tax on working people comes through all the things like the right to uh, um uh, the National Right to Work Committee, the, League, the Rocky Mountain Defense, Defense Committee. Uh, there's all these organizations that are all tied into the very wealthy, um, such as the Koch brothers. So the kind of money that is used to keep workers from organizing comes from, ultimately, the, the corporate agenda. Uh, the large corporations and their institutions that represent them uh, are constantly trying to keep workers from having a voice. You know, I, w- I want to mention one thing because we, we brought it up now with uh, what happened here in Illinois, you know, with uh, Rauner. When he came in, he didn't do anything. He didn't pay any bills. He wouldn't pass any legislation. His own party went after him uh, because of what he did to this state. And he just wanted to he came in and he wanted to wreck the state. And he did a good job of really putting us. I think we were in debt for over two and a half trillion dollars, billion dollars, billion dollars. And, uh, you know, people were fed up with him. Uh, you know, he wasn't going to get reelected because he was hurting his own people. Um, and now we got Pritzker, you know, man, thank you. Thank you. Because, you know, what he came in to a mess, and I mean a literal mess, and corruption. He didn't want unions and all the other stuff, and he didn't pay any bills. I mean, it was crazy. And now we have the states working right. We are um, a state that uh, respects the right of uh, women and, uh, you know, their their rights in this world. And, you know, it's just really, uh, uh, I'm, you know, I'm glad I'm here now, you know, because I, I just did some traveling and a few of the states I was in, it is a right to work state and it's a right to work for nothing. I, I talked to some people out there and they're working for seven twenty five an hour in the year 2023. I don't 22. I mean, I don't, I don't believe that. I don't understand it. When gas is five, six dollars a gallon out there, how do these people survive? You know? Larry, do you have any more you want to touch on with this? Uh, I mean, I love what we're doing here. Um, do you have anything else you want to touch on with this show? Well, um, I would like to uh, uh, direct uh, the listening audience to think about a place that's uh, uh, just in our own backyard that's being developed uh, because it's now National Park, Pullman, uh, one, you know, the, the area of Pullman down at 115th and Cottage Grove, uh, 111th and Cottage Grove, where the uh, uh, visitor center is, the old factory building. Pullman was a company town uh, built by George Pullman, really well built by the workers who Pullman employed, as well as all the railroad, the, the, uh, uh, the African-Americans who were porters who worked on the railroads, his, his rail cars who served the public on his uh, Pullman Palace cars all around uh, the world. Um, But it tells a great story of the American worker. Um, And if you go there, uh, we've been giving tours. The Historic Pullman Foundation uh, uh, is helping, and the National Park Service is continuing to develop it along with the state of Illinois. 
so in a few years. It's hoped that over 300,000 people a year will be visiting Pullman. But it's right in our own backyard, whether you live in, you know, the six, eight counties around here or anywhere in Illinois or Indiana or close, you can get there in a short period of time. And um, it's uh, it's um, uh, a workers museum that's becoming that. And uh, um, there's many stories because it's the story of America through race, class, uh, gender, uh, industry, labor, capital, uh, you name it. Um, And. um, uh, I just wanted to direct the audience to think about going to Pullman and checking it out and checking out the stories of workers. There's also uh, the Porter Museum, the uh, 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 for the, the uh, which is the first African American, uh, all African American labor union, the uh, Brotherhood of Sleeping Car Porters, and there's a museum telling their story as well, which is part and parcel of the Pullman story. So um, it's just in our. It, it, it's an outing. You could go there uh, any day of the week. Uh, it's a great family outing. Uh, check it out. You can walk around. There's an entire community that's literally uh, uh, telling again our history, um, because this history is repeated over and over again in different venues. It doesn't all look exactly like Pullman, but the same dynamics existed in terms of the great and uh, in, in much of the Pullman story grew out of the strike against George Pullman in 1894 when he lowered the wages of workers 25 to 50 percent, but they still had to pay the same rent and pay all the costs that they paid to the Pullman company to live there didn't go down. And so um, this is the story of America, and it's right here in Chicago. There's many stories in Chicago. Uh, the story of the stockyards is in uh, the unionization of the stockyards. Uh, the, we've already talked about Haymarket, and we've talked about um, uh, Pullman. And then you go to, you know, you had uh, um, uh, uh, Brian from Joliet, uh, you know, the whole industrial area, the Kel SAG, the, uh, 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 the, the, um, uh, the, um, the canal. Uh, there's all this history, and it all comes back to what workers did to build our society. So, uh, you can get educated, not just in school, but just go to your these museums, go to these sites, and you can learn a whole heck of a lot. You know, you bring up a lot of great points. I was at Pullman, oh gosh, I'm going to say about 15 years ago, I went there for a... Uh, uh, Christmas outing. They took us on a tour of the of the buildings, the homes that they built down there. They took us to the church and uh, uh, the meeting hall they had and everything else. But it sounds like it's a lot better now than it was before. So, um, oh yes, yes, absolutely. I, I got to look that one up and I got to take a ride down there because that sounds like it's something that really. Uh, um, you know, really should be on my list. Uh, I tell the George Pullman story, very interesting story. Uh, but, you know, I wanted to add one thing to this whole thing, too, is my my father came here in 1950. You know, my mother and father came here from Europe in 1950, and my father went to work for the railroads, and they were, you know, they, they were paying a, a living wage, and they people were able to have benefits and stuff. Nobody went broke because they couldn't pay the medical bill, the the, the hospital bill, the doctor bill. You know what I mean? And that's that's what, where we need to be. What what future do you see in this whole movement that's going on now? I think it's a positive from what I'm seeing. Uh, people are just fed up and they're they're speaking out. 
What do you think? I, I'm optimistic because the people who are uh, um, taking the bull by the horns are uh, the millennials, the Gen, Gen, Gen Zers. Um, you know, if you uh, the union that I worked for for many years, AFSCME, just organized uh, to uh, just organize the Art Institute of uh, Chicago, and I did a labor history tour for them. You know, and they were mostly people in their twenties, and they were. So into the idea of learning, going. Nobody ever told us this. Nobody ever taught us this. And um, and now they, the the AFSCME's organized the Newberry Library Workers. That's uh, another. Uh, it's a history museum uh, and a museum of Chicago's history. Um, and uh, museums across the country now are being organized. These kind of workers like that. But what we're seeing in the Starbucks workers, the Amazon workers, uh, the museum workers. Uh, and many of the gig workers are, are younger people, and they're no longer blinded by the propaganda uh, that existed for so many years about uh, u- unions are bad and destroying society. They're saying, this is what we need. And then they learn the history of how people's collective action actually transforms society to be better. And so I'm, at, I'm optimistic. As long as young people are getting engaged in this, and as long as we're able to continue to tell the story. I think more and more people, it'll it'll be, you know, literally a uh, domino effect, which is what happened in the 1930s and 40s, and it happened in the 1880s um, and uh, during World War One when uh, um, uh, the workers uh, organized. It, it continues to grow at an exponential rate. And prob- the obstacle, of course, is uh, capital, uh, the corporate agenda, which will spend so much money. You know, um, the money that corporations spend to fight unions could give all their workers raises, you know, for years to come. Uh, most of the public probably doesn't realize how much companies will spend to keep a union out. So it's that's uh, uh, why we call it the class struggle, I guess. You know, there's a there's just been a lot of things, and like yeah, you, I'm 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 optimistic too because this last election and that we had more. Um, I read the stats on it, and we had more young people come out and vote um, than ever have, and we had more women involved in voting also. So, but we need to keep that up. We need to keep. Uh, you know, educating people. Uh, I'm going to do everything I can to go out and do some talking and, and uh, you know, uh, get people going. Larry, give out that website again. We're running out of time, and I just want to sign off for my last time over here at WCPT. IllinoisLaborHistory.org. IllinoisLaborHistory.org. That's the Illinois Labor History Society, and I'm honored, Richie, that you had me as your last guest. No, I, you know, I called you right away with all this stuff that's going on because, number one, I know you know what you're talking about. And, uh, you know, if you you give the people what they need. You need they need information. They need it. They don't need someone shooting from the hip. They need someone that knows what they're talking about. And that's why I hate them in. Thank you so much, folks. It's going to be my last show here at CPT. Thank you for listening. Check me out at RichieZ.com, R-I-C-H-I-E-Z-I-E. You can call me direct at 312-841-2560. Thank you for listening.